This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about resiliency in the second wind. And joining me is Clint Schumacher. He's a husband, father, lawyer, and football coach. He's passionate about building teams that are resilient, engaged, and motivated. He has a unique experience of both working to solve complex legal problems and coaching young athletes to succeed. He studied, applied, and taught the principles of resilience set out in his book that he wrote, and they work. He's helped clients obtain over 100 million in judgments or settlements. He's completed a marathon, climbed the Sydney Harbor Bridge, given two TEDx talks, uh, won a belly flop contest. We're definitely going to dig into that and finished deep in the money at the World Series of Poker. He holds a Bachelor's of Business Administration from Abilene Christian University in Accounting and a Juris Doctorate from the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, Clint, it is great to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk about some of these topics today, and it's been a while since I think we've visited some of these ideas here on the podcast. So thank you for joining me. Hey, you bet, Coach Grabowski. It's great to get to visit with you. I really appreciate your podcast and what you do, and it's actually been extraordinarily helpful uh, to me to learn from some of the excellent coaches that you have on your show. And so, man, it's, it's an honor for me to be with you. So, Clint, you are a lawyer, but you are also a coach, and, um, you know, <laughs> that takes a lot of time. So, uh, for you, though, where, where did the coaching bug start, and, you know, why did you get involved in, in you know, with a very busy schedule with all the things you do, uh, make coaching a part of your life? Yeah, so I, I yeah, my journey is maybe a little bit different. Um, so I started coaching my kids when they were in youth ball, you know, uh, flag football in first grade, uh, pads as they were going into fourth grade, and and took them up as they were going through the youth programs. And then as as you know, they were kind of graduating out from that. The private school where my kids attend approached me and asked if I would have any interest in coaching middle school football, and I said. Man, I'd love to, but there's just no way I have time to do that. And, and then, Coach, it was all I could think about for two weeks. And so for two weeks, I was, like, trying to figure out how can I make this work, how can I make this work, and finally figured out a, a way that I could, could do that and talk to my law partners who were gracious to allow me to uh, coach. And so I started coaching middle school ball and did that for a few years and then eventually moved up to the high school staff uh, where I coach offensive line now. So that's, that's, that's how I got there. So on on the uh, coaching side of things, this idea for the book started during a youth football game for you. You were uh, coaching a team that got behind early in the championship game, and you didn't exactly get the results you wanted when they faced adversity. Tell us a little bit about that day and, and the idea that grew out of this that became your book. Yeah, you bet. So 
you know, I say ideas sometimes come from unexpected places, and this is this is one of those. As you say, we were in the championship game. We'd had a very successful season. In fact, these kids had had two really good seasons in a row, and it had been, you know, 20 or 21 games since they had been behind in a football game, uh, but not this day. And we got behind early, and what we normally did that would work was not working, and the kids started to to feel anxious. Uh, and then they started to shut down and, and late in the game, they were tapping out. And so, you know, we end up losing the game. I'm walking off the field. I'm, I'm frustrated at the kids. And I think, man, how, how could these kids have had so much success? And then when they get behind in a game, a game that we could have been competitive in, you know, shut down and, and not do well. And so for a couple of weeks, I was in that mindset of, man, why did the kids do this? And then that, you know, that phrase that sometimes we hear everything you see on the field, you either coached or you allowed it to happen, came careening into my head. And I said, well, gosh, you know what? I've never prepared them. We as a coaching staff never prepared them for that moment, for that time when things are not going well, when they're behind in the game. And so here they were as 11 and 12 year old kids at that point dealing in real time with a circumstance that we had not prepared them to deal with being behind in a game and learning how to continue to, to function well and execute well, even when the earlier part of the game has not gone well. And so I realized, you know what, I've got a major hole in my coaching and in an effort to try to be better uh, the next season, I started studying this subject of resilience. How do you coach it? How do you teach it? Can you coach it and teach it? Is it, is it something that can be learned? Uh, and started trying to figure out how, from a coaching standpoint, can I better prepare my team to deal with adversity uh, and really started learning what a number of really good coaches do and figuring out how I could incorporate that into what I was doing. I think you, you make some great points here, and I've, I believe in what you said 100%. If we expect something from our players – in a particular game, in a particular situation, on a particular play, if we've never worked that with them before, we it's hard for us to have those expectations, right? We haven't prepared them. And before we got going, I shared with you that we've, we've done a podcast in the past, and I'll link it in our show notes, uh, called The Disaster Plan with retired uh, Charleston head football coach Tony DeMeo. And on that particular podcast... Tony would actually take his team in every August and during camp and set aside time during camp to put them in a situation where everything went wrong and they were way behind in the game. So he could teach them how they were going to respond. What were the kind of things they were going to look at uh, from how they were going to operate as an offense, a defense, uh, you know, that mentality and being able to practice some of those things, I really believe allows your players then to be better prepared, understand how they can operate when adversity hits. And and we're going to dig into some of those things, but, you know, um, I guess the question I have for you in in regards to that is looking, you know, Coach, I gave an example there with Coach DeMeo, but how do you work some of this in as a coach? I think we all try to create some things uh, within our football program. Some of it's you know, directly addressing that, I guess, in some of the drills we run or the training we do. But uh, how do you do it in a way that within the situations you need your players to perform in, uh, they're going to be able to be resilient? 
uh, coach, I, I think you make a great point. I mean, part of it is putting them in that situation. And I, I get to coach with a really great head coach named Steve Hayes, and he calls it unfair drill. So, you know, the referee makes a horrible call. What are you going to do the next play? Or the offense turns the ball over deep in your end and the defense has to take the field. How, how are you going to deal with that and put them in that situation? But then I think part of it is the mindset that you're working with you know, year round in the off season and in the summer camp and, and before you get to the field, you know, how do you teach your players how to deal with failure? Uh, how do you react when they fail? Um, how do we teach them? You know what? It's okay to fail. As long as you're learning something new and you're continuing to get better, you're going to get better on the other side. That failure is not final unless you make it. So, you know, how do we deal with teaching them resilient habits I think particularly as an offensive line coach, one of the things that I'm very um, tuned into is, you know, my kids, you know, most of their life have not been considered great athletes. They're the last ones picked on the playground and they have this, this view of themselves as lesser than in terms of an athlete. And that may not be true by the time they're in high school. And it's certainly not true for the job we're going to ask them to do as an offensive lineman, but it's the mindset they have. And so I've got to start to change how they see themselves and begin to think of themselves as worthy and capable and able and having the tools to be successful. Because then once you begin to see yourself in that way, when you encounter failure, you've got this sense of, yeah, but I've got what it takes to start to be successful. And so part of it is what, what are we teaching and what are we working with our kids on, you know, year round, not just in season. So in terms of, of doing that, you know, what are some simple steps? And number one would be to get your book, the second wind, right. And read about that there, but some simple steps we can take as coaches to really start building this, as you said, year round into our players. That's a great question. And I think, you know, there's a couple of, I think, easy things that we can do. I mean, part of it is is just to begin to talk to them about how we deal with failure. And even, even more as coaches, how we model that for our kids. I mean, if, if our kids see us losing it uh, when something bad happens on the field, how can we expect them to act any differently? And so if we're intentional about the messages we're giving them, and the actions they're seeing from us in regard to failure and adversity, I think that's a very important first step. But, but then secondly, I would be, you know, I would encourage our coaches to be very intentional about how they think about what their particular athlete needs. So for example, you know, my kids, they need a strong sense of self-sufficiency and I need to get them to begin to believe that they've got what it takes. And part of that is messaging but then part of that's also, you know, this truism in life that when you work really hard, good things happen. And if I can convince them to put in the work that they've got to put in to be successful and then teach them, look, once you put in that work, begin to expect good things are going to come from that. Even if there's some failure along the way, because you put in the work to be successful most of the time, good things are going to happen to you. And I, and I think if we have that kind of intentionality in our programs and in what we're saying to our kids, it makes a very positive difference. So digging into the book, Coach, the first chapter is subtitled Graded Cheese and Video Games. What do those two things have to do with each other or with overcoming adversity? Yeah, you bet. So, 
you know, if you think about if you think about Coach, one of those old manual cheese graters, you know, like that cowbell shaped mm. device where you would take the the block of cheese and you would scrape against it. You know, I, I don't know about you, but almost any time my mom asked me to do that, I was going to end up with a scrape on my knuckles. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was emblematic of you know what what made me think about that was. I was teaching my youngest son how to use that cheese grater, and he was at the time 12 or 13 years old, and he'd never seen one. And it struck me, you know what? There's a lot of things in life that we used to do that we no longer have to do because they've been automated away. And grated cheese is one example. You know, you can buy shredded cheese at the store that's almost the same price as the block of cheese, so why would you take it home and, and, and grate it and, and cut your knuckles using it? And there's a lot of things in life where because of automation, because of technology, we do less hard things. You know, I do less hard things than my parents did. My kids do less hard things than I did because of the, you know, the world that we live in today. And so, you know, we have this expectation that our kids are going to be resilient, but, but a lot of what they've done in life hasn't necessarily been, been hard yet, okay? It's going to get hard. Uh, but there's not as many hard things that happen because of, you know, some of the, the technology that we have. And on that same topic, you know, so many of our kids play video games. You know, we all play video games. And one of the great things about a video game is if it's not going well, you just hit the reset button and you can start over. But as you know, Coach, there's no reset button in, in life. There's no reset button in our games. And so if you live a life where you do less progressively, less hard things, and you live a life where you're used to hitting the reset button when things go wrong, we shouldn't be surprised then when real life sets in and something gets hard and there's no reset button, that people have trouble dealing with that adversity and learning how to overcome those circumstances and getting past the obstacles that they have in life. And so that chapter is really about, look, Decide that these obstacles that you're going to face are valuable because they are valuable. They're a part of life. And as you learn to deal with an obstacle and you come out the other side of it, you come out of it stronger, you come out of it wiser. And when we sit around and and tell stories, inevitably we talk about those obstacles, those adversities that we got through because – those are the things that make us grow. Those are the things that make us interesting. You know, those are the things that make up the very fabric and mosaic of our lives. And so, you know, early in the book, I really try to set the premise of, look, you, you, the way you view an obstacle is critically important. And if you view it as this is an opportunity for growth, it may be hard, but it's an opportunity for growth. Then I think everything else that comes after that is a lot easier and works a lot better. So as we started and talked about the youth football game you were coaching that you know, put some obstacles in front of you in terms of where you were as a coach and what you had to learn, how did you go about learning uh, that the best ways that you, you overcome things, the best ways to be resilient, the best ways to face adversity? And you mentioned that you've, you've learned it from a number of coaches, I guess, for you what was the method that you went about getting this information and then being able to put it together so that you could share it with other people? Yeah, you bet. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of research, just like you talked about, uh, you know, coach DeMeo coming on your podcast and talking about how you deal with adversity. I just took a lot of points of data from different, from different coaches, different business leaders, 
uh, different executives on how they taught resilience in their organization or how they pushed resilience down in their organization and started to find things I thought I could, you know, use with what was at that point a youth football team that's obviously evolved and changed over time uh, to become now an older group of kids. Um, but, you know, I had all this material uh, together and I thought, gosh, I've got all this stuff together. And, and I actually had another uh, a conversation, oddly enough, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but with another coach that was on your podcast, Randy Jackson, mm-hmm. who coaches here in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area. And I asked him why he wrote his book, which is an excellent book. Um, and he said that, that one of his mentors had told him, you'll grow so much in the course of writing that whether you sell a copy or not won't matter. And that's why he, in part, decided to write the book that he wrote. And you know what? I said, that, that made sense. And I filed that away. And, and at some point, that came back and triggered. And, and uh, I decided, you know, I've got all this material. I'm going to go through the writing process. Uh, hopefully, it'll be useful to somebody. But I know at the end, I'll be wiser for having gone through it. And, and indeed, that's been the case. As you've progressed in this journey here of sharing your knowledge, has that opened any other opportunities uh, to speak with teams, to work with teams? Um, what have you seen in, in terms of you know that that journey for you in in uh, in the way this has progressed? You know, coach. So far, it's been uh, just a personal journey. The book is being released in early May, so it really hasn't even made it out to anybody and I'm still uh, you know hopeful that it'll find the right hands uh, and the message will hit those people that it needs to hit but for me so far it's been limited to uh, application to myself to the athletes I'm getting to coach uh, to my three teenage boys but always happy to share this message with whoever needs it because I, I do think particularly where we are right now going through what's obviously been a very difficult year uh, not only in our country but around the world and not just in sports, but in our schools and in our workplaces, in our communities of faith, it has been a, a hard year. It's been a difficult year. It's been a year where a lot of the social ties that we rely on for strength have been have broken down. And, um, you know, it's but now's the time, hopefully, uh, where we're going to start seeing some more semblance of normal and a time where people can begin to bounce back and to the extent there's been adversity over the last 12 years, now's the time uh, to start putting things back together again and adopting a mindset that said, look, these last 12 months have not been what anyone would have wanted, but what am I going to learn out of that? What am I going to apply from that going forward? And how am I going to be a better person now that I'm on the other side of the obstacles that we've all kind of walked through together? Now, now Clint, you did share some information on your book, and within there, there's there's a picture of you. And uh, it's called second wind, which is uh, a, a term that comes from endurance athletes. And I'd say uh, you look more like the offensive line coach than you do an endurance athlete. But uh, endurance Fair racing has been part of, of what you did. You've run a marathon and you've experienced a second wind. I guess, you know, how, how is that thematic for you um, within this, this book that you titled it that? Yeah, so I, uh, you're correct. I'm a uh, definitely an offensive line coach, and the Lord gave me the body to do that and uh, and not be a cross-country runner. But uh, the year that I turned 30, my wife and I both turned 30, 
Um, we'd been married for a number of years at that point, and we had been at the tail end of a five-year journey to try to have a child and had not been successful and um, had kind of been far down the rabbit hole of, of infertility treatments and doctor's visits and, and lots and lots of disappointing news. Um, and, you know, you know that, that has an impact on you. And we were both young in our careers, and I, quite frankly, coach, didn't have the emotional intelligence that I needed to have to be a truly empathetic spouse. I I couldn't fully grasp what what my wife was going through. And I I wasn't there in the way, in hindsight, I wish I was and could have been. But during that year, she came to me and said, hey, I want to run a marathon. I'm turning 30 this year and I want to run a marathon. Coach, I had no desire whatsoever to run a marathon but I knew what the answer to that question needed to be. And so I agreed uh, to run it with her and we ran um, the Dallas White Rock Marathon together. Now we had trained together in the hot Dallas summer and the mild uh, uh, Dallas fall, but the race was in December and it was unusually cold the day of the race. In fact, it was sub freezing and it was sleeting when the race began. And so we got to around mile 12 and, um, and I started to cramp in my kind of mid back and the cramp was such that I couldn't get a deep breath. And so I was having trouble breathing because I couldn't breathe deeply enough to catch my breath due to the cramp. And so I had to to stop the pace I was on and start to walk so that I could catch my breath. But because it was so cold, anytime I would stop to walk, I'd get the chills. And so then I'd have to start jogging again to get my body temperature back up. And as soon as I'd start jogging, the cramp would return and I couldn't breathe. And then I would slow down and then I'd get the chills. And so I went through for several miles, this kind of slow down, speed up pace, slow down, speed up, um, trying to get rid of the cramp and trying to get rid of the chills. And I finally told my wife, hey, you just you you need to finish this race. Go on, because I was completely screwing up her pace. And so for seven or eight miles, I went through this slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up. And then when I got to mile 20, coach, for whatever reason, my body adjusted and I caught this proverbial second wind and the cramp went away and I was able to finish, uh, finish the marathon. And to me, as I started thinking about, you know, what I had studied on resilience and trying to put it into a book, it was really a great analogy for life that we get into these circumstances in life, like where I was on mile 12, when it gets to be really, really hard. And the thought kept coming to my mind of, is this really worth it? Should I quit? Should I just jump on the the bus that takes injured runners back to the start line? And for whatever reason, the the injured runner bus didn't come by at the right time, and I just kept going. And at some point, my body adjusted. I caught the second wind, and I was able to finish. And I think the same thing's true in life. It's true for us as coaches. It's true for our athletes. If we'll just keep grinding, until the resources show up to get us past our obstacle, until we can adjust, until we can make the changes that we need to make to get us out of whatever hole that we're in. If we just keep grinding, that second wind is coming. And so that's part of the message of the book. Yeah, it's it's a great message. And I think this is something that obviously applies to us within what we do with our players and teams, but you know, it, it, it certainly applies to us as coaches as well, right? Adversity hits within our careers. I know we just had Kyle Segler on, and Kyle was coaching at Marshall and, you know, did not get retained on that staff. And in the same week, his, his father was a coach and, and very instrumental in 
his life and becoming a coach passed away and, and you know Kyle faced ultimate um, you know adversity right the the professional side the personal side and he just kept going and you know he, he had a belief in you know he had done the work and some good things were going to happen now he's at at UMass and he has a great opportunity there and he you know he joined us on the show I'll link to that one as well certainly applies to some of the things in this discussion that you know, as coaches, we are going to face uh, those times. I, I have a friend who, who told me, and I think Kyle said it on the, the podcast as well, you know, there's two kinds of coaches, the ones that have been fired and the ones that will be fired. So, you know, it's something, if you get through your career and that doesn't happen, you know, we're in a highly competitive world, no matter what level you're at, uh, there will be times when you question whether it's worth going on. And I think as you explained there, right, we have the resources within us. And so it is about still grinding and moving forward. Now, Coach, I think that's really well said, and, and that's exactly right. And, you know, and one of the great things about the coaching community, and, and this is this is talked about a little bit in the book, I mean, one of the great resources available to us as we're dealing with adversity is somebody else has been down that path. And if we can connect with somebody that's already come through the struggle that we're going through, man, that's a powerful resource. I mean, one, it gives us hope, but two, it gives us a practical roadmap for whatever obstacle we're facing. And one of the great things I love about the coaching community is just that it is a community and there are coaches out there that are willing to help each other uh, down those difficult roads. And so, you know, I think when, when we are, when we as coaches are facing that kind of life difficulty, whether it's career related whether it's family related, you know, whether it's something with our teams, there's somebody else that's got some experience we can draw upon and, and our, our egos ought not get in the way to let us connect with them and, and take advantage of the resources that they have. Well, Clint, this has been a great discussion, but there's a couple of things that I just can't uh, leave on the table here that were mentioned in your bio. So the, the first one I want to cover is this belly flop contest. I, I don't know that anybody's come on the podcast <laughs> yeah. and said, I've won a belly flop contest, but you know you you felt it was important to put in your bio. So tell us about that. Yeah, you know I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's a story I ought to uh, publicize, but I did put it in there. And so uh, my wife and I, after I graduated from law school, we had a little celebratory trip uh, and, and took a cruise in the Caribbean. And uh, one afternoon they had a uh, um, belly flop contest. And, and Keith, as you've already mentioned. You know, the Lord gave me a, a offensive lineman's body, and so uh, I created quite a bit of water displacement and was voted as the winner of that belly flop contest. <laughs> now, this is an important thing because a lot of times in camp, especially at the college level, you know, we seem to find some of these, these crazy activities, and I know belly flop has been a part of the camps I, I've been in, so there's got to be some key technique here that, that's involved, right? So was there <laughs> technique or was this you, you just – on that particular one landed the right way. You know what? I think it's just sheer for it, it's it's sheer force, and it's the willingness to take on a lot of pain. And and, and coach, I got to tell you, it's a young man's game. You know, I uh, I'm not sure I'd want to do that anymore. No, no, no. I I always served as the, as the judge of that once I hit my 40s. Yeah, nothing nothing <laughs> I want to be involved in right now. So the other one I think interesting is that uh, in the book you, you mentioned playing in the World Series of Poker and uh, being able to, to make it into the money there. Tell us about that experience. 
Yeah, sure. No, I, I, uh, I consider myself a serious amateur poker player. Like a lot of people, I caught the bug after the Chris Moneymaker World Series, which was the 2003, I think, World Series. Uh, and I've had the, the uh, good experience to get to go out uh, several years and play and um, have had some degree of success. And, and uh, one year uh, ended up finishing you know, 32nd out of the field of 3,200 and something, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I tell you, it's, uh, it does two things. One, it's, um, it's very intimidating to sit at the table uh, with some of these pros who feel like, you know, you feel like they're giving you an x-ray of your soul. They can see inside your brain and know what you're thinking. So uh, it is a little bit intimidating. But the second thing is, is you do, you know, you learn, you learn to deal with, with, uh, with adversity at the poker table. I mean, even if you're an 80, 80% favorite in a hand because of what you're holding, there's still 20% of the time that the wrong card's going to hit at the, at the wrong time. And you did everything right, but you still lost. And you got to be able to play the next hand and not let that last hand uh, affect you. And so, um, you know, there's, there's some definite lessons to be learned there, but it's something that I do for fun. For our audience that wants to find your book, Second Wind, where is it available? You bet. Thank you for asking. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it's on pre-sale until May the 7th. After May the 7th, it's fully available. And uh, there's an ebook version. There's a paperback version. There's a hardback version. And there is an uh, audiobook version on Audible. So any of those places, you can find it. And I'd be honored if you, if you read it and reached out to me and let, let, let me know uh, what you thought and uh, if it was helpful to you and what I need to do better when I write something down the next time. And what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Yeah, you bet. So uh, there's a website, www.findsecondwind.com, and my contact information is on there, including my email address. And I'd love to hear from uh, I'd love to hear from those in the coaching community. You bet. Well, Clint, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, sharing some of these uh, lessons that you've written about and some of your ideas here. And uh, certainly. Would love to have you back on another time and maybe get deep into you know one of these topics and, and something that will make a difference for coaches. You bet, Coach. As I, as I said at the outset, man, I love what you do. You and your content have been very helpful to me in my journey as a coach, and hopefully, uh, hopefully something I've said is going to help one of the other coaches out there to uh, help them along their journey just a little bit further. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please check out all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com. We've got some great things coming for you in May and for the last three months or so of this offseason. We'll be back with All In on Offense and our deep dive on defense. And we have some great interviews with coaches as well as some quick casts that we'll throw in there. Check out all we're doing again at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.